0: this is episode number 52 of the abuse talk podcast welcome to the abuse talk podcast my name is jennifer gilmore and i turned my pain into a purpose i'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder each fortnight there is a new episode on the abuse talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you there's also a chance for you to join in with a conversation by leaving a voice message head to our website and go through anchor share your thoughts on this episode i speak to michelle john from pegs and we talk all about child to parent abuse something we haven't covered before on the podcast and i think you will learn so much just like i did throughout this one but before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsors for Hashtag Abuse Talk and they deliver trauma-informed training around the UK. You can find out more about them at rockpool.life. I also want to say a big thank you to Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay for continuing to support me on the Hashtag Abuse Talk tier on my Patreon. You can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. Now, let's get into that conversation with Michelle John from Pegs. We're going to be talking about child-to-parent abuse, um, which kind of sounds a bit daunting but um, I'm sure Michelle is going to help us along our way to having an understanding of this. So before we get into um, all of these questions Michelle can you just tell us a bit about you and your background and what's led you to um, this you know journey with pegs?
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on, Jennifer. I've been excited to um, come and share uh, what we do with all of you. So my background um, is in domestic abuse and family law. And then in 2019, through failings and misopportunities opportunities of services, where we or I and my family were failed, basically, at a horrific rate, um, I decided to turn my pain into power to empower others and Beggs was born. Um, and so yeah, November 2019, officially we, we were created and we went operational in March, April, 2020. Um, and whilst I'm quite open about lived experience, I don't talk about specifics because my child's my child. Mm. Is my child. Um, but yeah, so that, that's where we were born from and we've grown at an incredible rate, which is brilliant, but also incredibly sad.
0: Yes, I mean, I mean, I was going to talk about, you know, the, the difficult side of things, you know, how, how that comes across. But before we get into that part then, Michelle, can you just tell us what PEG stands for? Oh, it's a mouthful. Parental Education
1: Growth Support it's a really big uh mouthful apologies but in short pegs helping parents hold things together cheesy but effective jennifer's what we all like <laughs> um and what i wanted to do was make sure that it was clear that we are there for parent carers and guardians that we do offer that support and it's also about educating and then i thought well actually i've only really got a word here so that's where pegs came from it's, i'd like to say it's more interesting than that but it's not
0: it's well, it's nice and easy to uh remember. So that you know, that's a good start. Um so thank you for that, Michelle. Um now I was saying about you know it being hidden, it being, you know, well, you were saying that to me, and I thought, why haven't we had this discussion over child's parent abuse? So obviously that's really I'm a mum of three. It's really hard for me to think of being in that situation and Trying to understand how that situation can come about. So, can you let us know a bit about what it is like to be in that family situation? And um, what age are we talking about here? When we talk about child, I'm thinking, you know, anywhere from five. And um, you you think of someone really innocent, don't you? When you think of the word child. So, what age are we talking about as well? Good question. So we call it
1: child-parent abuse. Um, because you never stop being a parent, your child never stops being your child. So we support parents where their children are sadly as young as five, and also parents where their children are actually adults. Um, It's important that we talk about it. It's extremely uncomfortable, and I understand how uncomfortable it can make some people feel, but it is the reality of so many. So one in 10 families will experience child-to-parent abuse,
0: which equates to around 3% of the UK population. And that statistic shocks me um, because I'm assuming we should have more support out there. <laughs> That's yeah. my initial thought and um, process there. Now, you said as young as five. Um, how, can you give us an idea of what this looks like? It can look like lots of different things for lots of different families. What we're finding as an
1: organisation is that there's similarities, but they're all different and individuals that families need. So not too dissimilar to intimate partner domestic abuse, we are seeing cases where parents are being physically abused. We are seeing cases of 87% of the families that we support are experiencing, for example, being controlled. They're being physically attacked and threatened and their homes are being destroyed. We also know that 76% of these families have been verbally abused on a daily basis and this statistic shocks me and it comes with a trigger warning because I was challenged by my own organisation to include it when I was asking parents what were their experiences. Just the 5% of the families we support are experiencing sexual abuse from their own child yet we're not talking about it because it's incredibly uncomfortable.
0: Well yeah I mean I feel uncomfortable even you know thinking about it and um, hearing that statistic I guess it's something we don't want to think about you know when you become a parent you are thinking about all of the nice experiences that you're going to have and how Mm -hmm. you know your family life is going to unfold and you have aspirations for your own children don't you never mind yourself Um, so I mean you've kind of said that and i'm trying to sort of bring this into perspective and think about goodness you know there are people down my street there are people i know that could be going through this um so i know we said you said about azaleas five um so i'm guessing that there could be some kind of prevention work there but that's my assumption so do you think there could be something that um you know, would help people, um, you know, if the signs were spotted, would there be work for prevention there to be able to, you know, support that family? So that child, I can't get my words out here. Does that make sense? You know, can it be prevented? Is there a right time? Is that with the right support at the right time? Can something be, be done about it? Of course. This is the biggest barrier for parents. They're not being believed. Society
1: also tells us that we have to be this perfect parent. Asking for help and support as a parent sometimes can make parents feel shame. We feel as though perhaps, you know, we're, what are we doing wrong? What is wrong with my parenting? When we reach out or when these parents and the parents that we support are reaching out, they're reaching out at crisis point. But mm. when you unpick it, they've been asking for help and support for years. Some of the families we support over a decade, they've been asking for help, all whilst they've been told it's your parenting, go on a parenting programme. We wouldn't send an intimate partner victim of domestic abuse on a programme on how to be a better partner, but it seems to be OK that we send parents on parenting programmes. I'm very clear I'm not saying parenting programmes don't have their space, mm. because of course they do, but not where child's parent abuse is being um, displayed or coped or suspected within the family home. Parents aren't being listened to. It's seen as though it's typical behaviours. We've identified a seven-stage cycle that parents across the UK are going through and they're still not necessarily getting that help and support at the end. It is absolutely appalling. What we need to see change is policy and procedures and frameworks for practitioners, because a lot of practitioners that are aware of these behaviours they haven't got a lot, but they, they're stuck, they can't go anywhere because mm. their own services or organisation or the, the law, the policies, whatever, are not in place. So if we can't, we can upskill people, we can upskill them, that's fine. But if they haven't got a framework to work from, then actually what we're doing is frustrating that prof- professional and we're mm. leaving families at risk and at crisis. We're suggesting, because we've created an identification model um, that is currently run out over four local authorities, two health boards, the whole of the Paris police and other areas in England and potentially in Scotland, we're looking as well. We're really, we're really fortunate Jennifer to have this opportunity that identifies quite clearly whether or not the behaviors are abusive. Mm. And then that forms part of a response needed which currently the government recommendation is a safeguarding response. And that's one that we support. That's not saying that families need a social worker. It's just saying that a safeguarding response needs to be considered. Um, and we're saying by having these assessment frameworks in place, these policies, by listening to that parent, the parent's the expert. I'm not the expert, no more than anybody else. We are all experts in our own family situation. And one of the most powerful things I ever heard from one of my parents tell another parent was trust your own parenting. Mm. And I think
0: that is so powerful. Um, it's yeah. almost like, you know, trust your own um you know when it comes to health you know your body you know you do know your parenting you know when there's something wrong with your child or that you know something needs to change um so where were where would families typically go initially for some support um you know where they're not receiving the right direction perhaps education
1: Our parents are saying their first put a call is schools, colleges, followed Mm -hmm. by um, health. So you're looking at GPs and CAMs. I'll also quickly talk about another service in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so we're saying let's upskill Teachers, pastorals, um, safeguarding leads to ask those questions because quite often parents are told, Our child's fine in school, but actually, mm. what does fine look like? Um, and just because they're not displaying that behaviour at that time in that environment doesn't mean it's not being displayed elsewhere. We would never question an intimate partner victim of domestic abuse, for example, yeah. about that, but we automatically question, Well, they're not behaving like that. Here. It must be parenting, there's something going on in the home environment. Um, and I'm not saying that that isn't always the case. We do know that that obviously for some families there are things going on. Mm. But there's also a tier above CAMs called forensic CAMs, and they're a statutory service. There's 13 forensic CAMs across the whole of the UK, and they offer recommendations and consult- consultations to professionals who are working with families who have a child up until the age of 18, with or without a diagnosis, who are displaying harmful, aggressive, violent um behaviors towards themselves or at risk to themselves or others within the home mm. but very few services and people know about about forensic cams and mm. um, the forensic cams don't case manage they don't um but that just means that we that there needs to be health education social care involved in order to case manage mm-hmm. and quite a lot of the families that we support sit under that forensic cams umbrella and they're a really good service they offer they're made up of clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers. I talk about them all day long, and that's mainly because I've got, <laughs> I've got a clinical lead that sits on my board, Jennifer, so I'm a little bit biased, but their input is invaluable. And I think that the more we talk about these services well the more help we can give give practitioners and these families so where we're having families come back through saying friend uh, beg your pardon cams can't pick the referral up Mm. it's not mental health it's behavior it's nothing to do with us and all these things which families are hearing on a daily basis what should be considered actually do we need to refer this up to forensic cams and have that consultation and so I think sharing I'm quite proactive as an organisation I like to think and I'd like to share information I think no one knows everything I'm not Google no more than what you are but I think we need to work together I think that we need to have that connections as services and as communities in order to for everybody in the community to live fear-free and safe and that is the ultimate goal families don't not want their child they don't want the behaviour which is completely different Um, and I think that's why when you hear certainly me and my service when we talk about we talk about the behavior of the child or young person displays we don't yeah. call them perpetrators it's not helpful it doesn't help anyone and actually it's somebody's child that we're talking about and parents feel by the time they come to us a lot of them feel that shame they feel embarrassed yeah. and also they feel betrayal because they're telling on their child one for a better phrase
0: yeah and I mean so- it, it sounds um you know yeah, I can. I'm trying to put myself in that situation as a mum and how I would feel. And um, you know, I, the first thing I think, you know, failure because I need to get that help and support. And um, I, I'm happy to share that there was a moment when our uh, my eldest was um, showing OCD tendencies, and if things didn't go the right way, there was one time she threw a chair down the uh, stairs at us, and um, we, she threw things at us, and you know, we were really worried. Thankfully, um, we were able to get some really good support at the um, school. But I have to say, we had a referral to CAMS, and it took a year for us to actually have a phone conversation. Um, I have heard from many parents about the bad reputation cams have got so can you um give us some reassurance about um cams in general or perhaps the forensic side of things which i have never heard of and perhaps might have helped me in my situation back then
1: yeah i mean i mean i'm a third sector as much as i would like to say that i can make everything okay <laughs> with the world we can't that, that's the reality i need to be very clear um cams have their place i understand and i hear daily the frustration from parents i really do but to be fair to those practitioners in cams they're in it because they love what they do but they're Mm. also restricted aren't they by what their criteria are and everything and i get that they're frustrated too and i'm not anti any service i'm really not so i'm not gonna sit here and go oh you know let's all shout about cams because that's not actually what i what i see at that point is there needs to be more investment into cams there needs to be more staff Mm. there needs to be more funding that's something that mean you've got no, no saying at all in terms of forensic cams I just have a lot more to do with forensic cams based on the families that we support um and obviously because I've got one on the board so I do <laughs> know, I'm quite biased I am quite biased but they are a really good organization um, and their mm-hmm. skills are amazing but I also hear on a daily basis from from families how frustrated and disappointed they are that they're not being listened to and everything that the parent discloses is always around the child in terms of but I just need to identify what's going on for them I want them to have the right help and support when they come to us we do listen to all of that but part of what we do is put them at the centre and they struggle sometimes because we're like okay but how are you how do you Mm. feel what do you want for you and that can be overwhelming because when you're a parent you, your focus is your children, whether you've got one child or multiple, it makes no difference, your focus is your own person. Mm. And so a lot of these behaviors, it hasn't just happened overnight, it's happened over a progressively long period of time that have escalated, mm. Not too, again, not too dissimilar to intimate partner domestic abuse. No one's woke up one day and gone, oh, my child's now decided to behave this way. But what's happening is because families aren't being identified at the earliest of opportunities, because there's not those resources there, because there's lack of policy, there's lack of training, lack of knowledge, it's a barrier. And Mm. that's not okay. Change only happens when we do something different. How many times are we hearing lessons have been learned? Yet the same mistakes, one for a better phrase, I keep being... Remade that then makes that lesson not learned, it makes it a choice that actually we've learned better, but we're still going to do the thing that we're doing. We haven't learned an improved practice or we haven't learned an improved different services available. And I know from a political point of view, that's nothing to do with us, it's all to do with different things, Mm. but it also factors down you know, the people that our families are trying to reach out to want help and support, want to help. these families that they're just stuck to but it, that doesn't help my family when I've got a parent ringing the phone saying my child's just tried to stab me and I've just been told take the knife off them and stop ringing me.
0: Just going to say about um, you know I'm putting myself back in that situation with my own daughter and if things sort of gotten worse who am I calling who am I I, I wouldn't call the police on her because she's a, a child. Um, you know, who am I getting help from? Who am I protecting myself? You know, how, where do I reach out? So could you tell us um, what what should we do if um, there's somebody out there that's feeling at that point of needing support?
1: As much as you, I heard you just say that, I wouldn't ring the police. For some
0: families, the police is the
1: only, the only option that they have because of safety, we always say safety first. Always, if anyone's at risk of harm, then part of our response is actually you need the police just to make sure that you're all safe. In terms of if this is going on in the home and you're not quite sure what's going on, something is a little bit just not maybe it's not at the level where it's abusive behaviours, but you're not quite sure. You do have the options to talk to school, the GP. You can always ask for a second opinion. Mm. Early help provision. I know a lot of people have fear around social care, but social care have a massive umbrella, and depending where you are in the country, just depends what early help is called, if that makes sense. Right. The lower tier, but you can access all of that there's things that can help you so for example if you have a child with a diagnosis under the age of 16 legally parents are entitled to a parent carer assessment to assess their needs there's forensic cams like I've already spoke about there is other things that you can look for locally whether that is domestic abuse organizations whether it is talking to the police about the community support that they perhaps offer looking at the school and education and saying okay what provisions have you got access to that can help my child and young person because there are great services out there usually third sector as well I'm not going to say I'm not just missing statutory but for example where we're based here we work alongside another fabulous organization that works with the children and young people regularly and we work with the parents so it could be just exploring what does that provision look like if there's issues around school attendance okay is there a need for an education healthcare plan what does that look like mm-hmm. so, so the things for example sendais which are in every local authority they might be called something different but in essence what they do is they provide support to families to complete or apply for applications regarding education healthcare care plan that then can look at that young person's needs now we're quite often contacted and told by families the school of said well, they don't support it i can't apply for one a parent of their own volition can apply to the local authority for an education health care plan right so so it's things like that think about siblings what's going on for siblings is there if the young person displaying the behavior isn't at the stage that they want to talk to somebody about it or look at their behavior perhaps siblings need support has considered whether there's been a bereavement or loss within the family so 50 percent of the families we support have experienced loss or bereavement significant at some point in that child's life okay let's look at what does that look like for that young person? Has anybody spoke to them about what that bereavement or loss is? And that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has to die when we're talking about a loss. It can be a change of school and they've missed a the teacher, friends, L- loss isn't a pet, lots mm. of things. And there's things just, okay, What are what is going on for my family? If parents have to sit and map that out as a mind map, what am I worried about? What's working well? What's not working well? And what would I like for my future? That's great because that gives them a plan to work to work towards and share that with professionals um, it's really frustrating sometimes for parents and it's really exhausting mm. because they're constantly banging the same drum just on a different door and sometimes that door keeps getting shut
0: Jennifer which is really sad. Yeah I mean I mean it sounds great when you when you know you've come on here and you've told us all these links to support that probably we had no idea about and often um, what I have seen is within different support services is there might be two or three people involved or two or three support services and they're great individually but collectively coming together and trying to speak sometimes is uneven and difficult but Again, if you're in that situation, you're going to have to persevere. So let's talk about how parents um, are feeling, because obviously you mentioned that it's you know there's shame there i mentioned i might feel that sense of failure um you know i'm sound i'm hearing kind of desperation um from you as well mm. can you give us a picture of um you know your general families feel when they uh, come to you how are they um in their mental state it
1: does vary depending on because we've all got different resilience i know resilience as, as, as a struggle word for some but but we do have different coping mechanisms one thing that is clear every parent that, that my that myself or my team have spoke with the parents have said that they feel isolated and alone and that's mm. even if they've got really good support they feel shamed they feel that they're at blame at fault and um, they are desperate mm.
0: so Inter- you if they are there pegs is there to help and support so let's talk about how you can help um families and also could you let us know if you're an a a region specific i know you're based in shropshire if i'm correct um but can you help people that are in other areas of the country as well yeah we do so when we
1: started in April, March, April last year, I wasn't sure what PEGS was going to be. I just knew that I needed to try and make a difference somebody. By April of this year, we have supported 1,400, sorry, by July this year, 1,445 parents, which is a really large amount of parents. And we've done that in various of ways all our parents that come to us any parent care or guardian can access our drop-ins our free drop-in virtual um so we've we've expanded from shropshire to nationwide now (laughs) um and that's because of the limited support available out there so we've got weekly drop-ins and they're about to increase to well by the time this goes out it it will be twice twice weekly now um we've got a morning session and an evening session details will be on our facebook page and also stands to parents I'm very clear They're support programs and they're not parenting programs so EPIC which stands for Empowering Parents in Crisis one of my parents came up with that name and it's amazing (laughs) Um, it's an eight-week program it's an eight-week program and it focuses on parents well-being we talk about behaviors we talk about self-advocacy we look at trauma responses as well Mm -hmm. which is really important for them as parents and then as their child we get explore love language what that looks like why does it matter um, and then we've also got other programs like Banks back step forward which is um, a self-confidence resilience program that's been created by a lovely friend of mine um she's amazing um yeah she, she is really good i'm really fortunate to know her um and so yeah and so we've run programs like that we have um got advocacy support going on for parents so if they need some help talking to professionals uh we can come in and give a chat or or at least ask for a professional meeting um we do risk assessments and safety home risk safety planning for parents every parent that comes to us will get offered an initial consultation with one of us um, if they want it and then they also then get completed home assessment safety planning they get um, access peer support group that's closed as well so parents can access that. Um, yeah, we're trying to really make sure that we're meeting the demands. What I can also share is um, because 60% of the families we support have said that their employment's been affected, they've had to leave employment oh. or, um, or have considerably reduced hours, The Department of Work and Pensions has partnered with us on a national scale and we've created the Child to Parent Abuse Covenant that employers can sign up to,
0: um, to get help and support and policy in place to help any employee. Um, right that's amazing that's massive I mean I hadn't even considered employment um I hadn't even considered the impact on employment and what you know it would do wouldn't it especially I'm trying to think of all the different situations here so congratulations on that um it sounds like you've you're really making a massive um difference and I know there'll be people that will be resonating with some of the things that you've spoken about today um can you tell us how do we find you then obviously we know you're based in Shropshire, but how do we find your facebook support group how do we find everything
1: so um you can find us at www.pegsupport.co.uk um you can find us on all the social media channels um facebook you can find us at pegs uh, pegs child's parent abuse you'll need to contact the page in order to have access to the peer support group because it is closed and unless you spoke mm-hmm. to one of us we won't let you in that's not us being rude it's just we need to make sure safety <laughs> yeah um and then on the, and then we've also got um other social media that's posted on our facebook i would like to give them to you but i'm not gonna lie i don't know them um that's <laughs> great isn't it it's, mad, you know? it's because i don't access the social media platform sheriff sure, i have somebody else that can do that now um, so i'm well prepared on that but yeah what we'll
0: do is i'll pop it in the uh i'll pop everything in the the uh information so if anyone's uh tuning in check out the description i'll pop all the links there so everyone can find everything
1: (laughs) no thank you so much i mean we have grown we've also um as of the Domestic Abuse Act got passed earlier this year and I was the only organisation that gave advice and guidance to the government on the child's parent abuse, all 11 points have made it into statutory guidance and that's due to um, hopefully after September the 14th. That will now turn into the final the, the, the final guidance mm. for the bill, or for the Act, sorry, which is incredible because that now means that there's going to be legal obligations there for services um, mm. to respond in an effective way which can only benefit the families that need this.
0: Yeah, I think it's really difficult when we think of the um, words domestic abuse. Ultimately, we think about relationships, but it's not just about those romantic relationships. And then even when we think about it further and we think of families, we think of um, sibling to sibling. We, You know, have we do we ever think um you know, about the child to parent. So I think what you're, you're doing is absolutely fantastic. It's clearly needed, which is really upsetting to hear, obviously. But thankfully, um, you've just given us like half an hour of fantastic resources and information that we can all go away with and, you know, look up on research, you know, further. So that, that leaves me to say a massive thank you, Michelle, for, for joining us and for sharing a bit about your journey. Um, to PEGS and it opening up wide to not just Shropshire but nationally and obviously the difference that you're making to those families and you know nationwide in terms of the DA bill so thank you so much and um, I'm sure we will be in touch in the near future maybe there's another subject we need to cover within this Um, I think we haven't I think there's definitely more for us to talk about
1: thank you for having me on jennifer i'd be delighted to come back and talk some more
0: thank you once again to michelle john from pegs i hope you found it as interesting and informative as i did and so many that joined in the twitter discussion after we watched this on the live stream you have been listening to me jennifer gilmore author of isolation junction and clipped wings And my upcoming children's book, The Funky Frecks, which is currently on Kickstarter as a campaign. It's actually been fully funded within 24 hours and it still has over 20, I think 21 days left as I'm airing this so there is still a chance to get a copy and also get your name in the acknowledgements of the book for supporting the campaign so if you're looking for it it's all over my social media find my tag at jen l gilmore or head to my website and sift through there it's jennifergilmore.com but hopefully you will find it on the kickstarter campaign website as well the funky frex. I am going to leave you to the rest of your day, but hopefully once again you've enjoyed this. And remember everybody that together we are louder.